Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of um, my new podcast, which is Marquee Listens. I am your host, Marquee, and um, I'm here with my co-host, Paul. Um, and um, it's my first time starting a podcast. Paul, introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. I am Paul, the and- co-host. Okay. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and I'll I'll introduce um, myself and talk about why I started the podcast, and then we'll move into some of the content. Sounds good. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, Locally, or originally from Virginia, I've been in Maryland for about seven years. We've known each other, what? You said you've been in Maryland for seven years? That's about, yes. Oh, you're just running your words together. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Uh... We've known each other, what, maybe 18, 19 years? Coming up on 18. That's amazing. It uh, doesn't seem like it, but um, it's a simple story. Little kid from Virginia looking for the big leagues, and uh, here I am in Maryland. What are you even talking about right now? What? Okay. So, I'm your host, Marquis. I'm originally from New Jersey. Um, I am 39 years old, currently uh, working at a healthcare organization here out in the suburbs of D- Washington, D.C. I'm also a uh, up-and-coming uh, actor, somewhat semi-professional actor, and um, I, it's been my dream to start my own podcast for a long time, really to start my own talk show, and it's my first foray into trying to start something new. So... Um, just a little bit about uh, why I'm doing this podcast. I've had a number of conversations with uh, friends and family over the years, um, during which I've had some um, difficult and somewhat uncomfortable conversations. Um, and uh, after the, all of the conversations, most of my most of the people that I talk to wind up saying, "You know what? That was really." Um, useful, and I wish a lot more people just opened up and started a dialogue about whatever it is. I actually had a conversation with, you don't know this, but I had a conversation with one of my coworkers recently about um, having a difficult conversation and how do you, how do you start one. Um, sometimes you start it, you want to start a conversation about, because you're curious about something. Sometimes you want to start it because you are um, you really are uh, want to understand another person's point of view. And this instance that I was talking to my coworker about, we have a, another coworker. Her name is, um, well, I won't na- name her, na- put her name out there, but she was born with um, um, some uh, disability that requires her to walk with braces. So she has to walk with braces around the office all the time. And we just accept that that's that's her life. But I'm I've always been curious about what it is that she has. Right. I have no sense of it because, you know, how do you start that conversation? And then what does her daily life look like? Because I'm often I often find myself when I'm interacting with her, I'm like, oh, my God, I got to open the door for her. Or I got to like make sure that the thing that she needs to reach is at, at a, an appropriate height or whatever it is, because I, I don't want her to feel like, oh, how dare you not take me into account? But how do I even start that conversation? First of all, she's a coworker. She's not a friend. She's not anybody. But um, I imagine if I were in her shoes, I would probably know that. Well, I don't know that I would know because she, maybe she was born with it. I think she was born with it, but I don't know. I feel like she must have some sense that everybody's treating her differently. And. 
like um and just moving around her differently than any and then they do with with people without her um without her uh challenge so for instance she might be walking down the hallway and our hallways in our office are somewhat narrow so sometimes i i like i don't want to walk around her right she's just trying to get to her office so i like purposely slow my walk down so that i'm just walking behind her and i'm sure she's like okay person like you can you can you can <laughs> you can go around me but not, i feel bad because i'm like let me just hang back because clearly it takes her a bit longer to get to where she needs to be so anyway at some point i would like to have her um on the podcast but um this podcast that i'm that i'm trying out is about having a d- difficult conversations but it's also about getting different uh different points of view and different perspectives and um i'm hoping that it will take off or at least help somebody out there to um open their eyes to some some other point of view now, of course my co-host paul has been my best friend for many many years so um, we are generally similarly, similarly minded on most things, but there, I'm sure there are still some things that we are like, yeah, I, you're terribly wrong. And I disagree with you on that. Most things we, um, are pretty good on. So, um, I wanted to have somebody to play off of, and I wanted to have somebody who I could, um, confide in and could g- give me a little bit of support because it's a scary thing putting yourself out there in this way. So, Paul, you have anything to say? Well, that's that's actually a very interesting topic, and um, I'm glad you brought it up. But I, <clears throat> I, I guess I could somewhat relate uh, to that uh, confusion or frustration on life. Um, but I, I, for the coworker, you know, I, I feel like it'd be very it's it's definitely an awkward um, situation for her. Just day to day living, you know, she's already having to deal with that. Let's say since birth. You know, working around elementary, getting bullied, and just a constant. People I mean, you just, say you could relate. What does that mean? Well, with my own disability, um, I can understand why why she would or why it could be a difficult conversation for someone to want to ask her or anyone about it. Um, but also, then people maneuvering around her in a way where she feels she may feel like she's being isolated or separated in ways or being catered to um, to make feel. Like she needs help where I don't want people to, I would, if I was her, I wouldn't want people. I want to just be, I want to be as normal, quote unquote, as I can without all these extra things, unless I really need help. I understand why people would want to help and jump in and make things easier for her or anyone else. But I feel like she wants to just live a normal, at normal as she can life and just carry on her business. If someone needs to walk around her or reach for something, I think she knows how to reach and she knows how to also then work around and get or do whatever she needs to do. I'm sure that she can drive or go up and down steps, navigate and do whatever she needs to, but I don't. So this is our inaugural episode. So, um, and there are people who are just listening to this at this point. So first, and this is just, you know, I've known you for 18 years, however long. I have never like, you said you're a disability. I, I've never like looked at you and said, oh, this is a disabled person. So you have to give us a little bit of context about what that means. Like you, you have you. Do you consider yourself to be disabled or do you think that you have some type of disability and how that how did that affect you? How does that affect you now versus how did it did it, did it affect you in your like, I guess, your childhood? OK, so 
for those who don't know, um, I had a brain tumor when I was a baby, and uh, it was removed, but it did create a bit of, uh, let's say, cerebral palsy in my right leg, and so there was a limp. And while I don't classify myself as disabled, I've never looked forward, uh, been able to accept any help in that way or want to accept any um, benefits in any way. Um, I, I just want to consider myself as normal as I can be, or a normal human being, and conduct myself as such. Um, as a kid and as an adult, I don't think of myself, or I didn't think of my, as a kid, I thought of myself as being disabled and the kids would bully me and whatever else happened. But um, I felt like my mom restricted me more than letting me be myself or forcing me to become a stronger person because of it. Oh, that's interesting. Wait, so you, when you say your mom restricted you, was she like overprotective or was like, what was the, I guess, what was the biggest reminder to you besides the limp itself, I guess? What was the biggest reminder to you that, like, you were different from somebody else? The biggest reminder? Yeah. Um, Besides the actual thing itself. Right. Because right? I, you're right. So the, the actual reminder for me would have been, I think, um, in gym class, actually. Uh, in gym class, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what was said, but... Um, what will always stick with me forever in life, I think, is when um, we had a substitute gym teacher. The regular gym teacher knew of my uh, issue, I guess. Didn't restrict me at all. But the substitute teacher did not know of me or what was going on. And I was a bit of a troublemaker in school, causing a little bit of noise. And I was he asked me to, I think, go to the principal's office or something. Or I think I may have asked to use the restroom. And I got up and walked away. And... Again, I'll never forget this. He said, walk straight. And I said, as a kid, I'm like, what? Who would say that? And all of my friends and everyone in the class stood up for me and was like, that's that's how he walks. That's his walk. He can't. That's just. And at no point did the gym teacher say, or at least I can't recall, because at that time I was so traumatized by it. At no point did I remember there being an apology. And maybe there was. I remember going to the principal's office and explaining that my case this, this this is what happened. So did you feel like at that point, because, I mean, I get sort of both sides of it. Did you feel like, oh, how dare you treat me like I should be walking straight? Or did you feel like, oh, um, you wanted to be treated like, a, like a, what you call a normal, right? Normal person. So, oh, this is how normal people get treated, right? I mean, I so I, it's, it's, it's both. I understand. It's, it's kind of hard because I really couldn't think of anything. I mean, there's one other thing I can say about as far as reminder, but um, that just hurt me, like, just to, like, the core. Mm -hmm. In a school where I'm supposed to be with educators and people who understand you and yeah. treat you with the utmost respect, but I guess back in that decade it just wasn't That's as a decade <laughs> it wasn't as known and i'm aging me myself but um i just felt as though it was right now if that happened i felt like it'd be very politicized and mm. just social media and everything would be, everyone would be involved yeah. but at back in the you know let's say the early 80s or late 80s act late 80s or early 90s um you're talking about the 1990s okay okay <laughs> that was uh that was okay in a sense and you could simply say I'm sorry and move on which is exactly what we did 
but again, with it, with it being decades old, I can't remember the exact uh, conversation during or right after. So, uh, uh, so I have a question. Go ahead, though. Well, the other the other reminder in life is that, um, and this is how I knew that I knew I needed to get out of where I was from or grew up because I did not want the same life. Um, as a child, we grew up on, or I don't know if I grew up the entire time, but uh, for a moment or for a while, we grew up on, um, uh, I don't want to say welfare, but social security. And um, and I didn't want that for myself. I absolutely knew that. I didn't want handicap tags. I didn't want parking. I didn't want anything of the sort. So that was actually my next question was, um, there was a sense particularly now with so many other things that are classified as disabilities or um, or physical tra- or mental challenges. So you got ADHD, you got ADD, etc. A lot of parents feel like, well, if my child had whatever it was, I would take advantage, not take advantage of it, but I would avail myself of services. I would sign myself, my child up for social security. I would, I would um, get scholarships for my child for so-and-so. And I, uh, uh, actually, we've never talked about this, actually, but I'm curious about whether you actually considered using it, not necessarily to your to your advantage, but like, for lack of a better word, taking advantage of the fact that you have this thing and saying, okay, well, you know, I'm, there's $5,000 out there for, you know, a, a kid with blah, whatever. And... When I was when I was growing up, and that this I have no disability at all, right? But when I was growing up, I remember remember when I started applying for colleges. My mom said to me, "Why don't you apply for this one or that one?" There's there's literally scholarships out there for black kids who are left-handed. Go and do that. And I wasn't left-handed, but she was like, "Just go find something." So I'm curious about um, your your situation or your thinking, if you had any about, I guess, using it to your advantage. So I. I did. I mean, I well, excuse me. I did not actually. Mm. I was actually not that I have any problem with anyone, of course, using the services. They're out there for a reason. Um, but two things. One for me, as a reminder, was when my mom um, specifically asked me as a child when I when I said I want to work, I want to get a job, and I remember it. I, I wanted to get a job with Wells Fargo because they were coming to my school, and there was a bank test, like accounting test or a mathematics test where actually I passed and was offered a position that with passing the test, you would be considered for like a bank teller position after school. And they would work around the high school hours and all that. Um, And when I said I wanted to do that and I took the test, passed, it was offered a somewhat position of some kind. She said, well, don't you want to collect disability? And, you know, and I was like, no, that's outrageous. I don't want to do that at all. Well, so so what was the end of that? Was it... The end of it was that she said I couldn't work. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. What was what was the point of that? Was was she saying? She was, was saying the end of that statement. She I was guess? saying. Well, she was saying, don't you want to? Not the well. Do you want to um, apply for disability and essentially collect a check? Not that she said in that way, but essentially, you know, you can collect a check for this and not have to work as much or if not, if at all. Well, and so, I, that, and so that for me, I was like, that's just not acceptable. Yeah. I'm not going to go that route. As long as I can physically get up and do something and benefit myself and get out of this place, that's what I'm going to do. Well, first of all, good for you. That's number one. Um, but second of all, um, I don't know enough about the system, except for what I've seen on Judge Judy, one of my favorite shows, shout out to Judge Judy. Um, 
about how that whole thing works. So people who apply for disability either can only work a certain number of hours, right, or can't work at all. And if they're caught working, then they get cut off. Is that right. how it goes? That's, that's my understanding. Right? That's exactly my understanding of it. Okay. I don't know. That's back Power when I was more comfortable right. and right. not even, not even uh, well, not as fully in, uh, <clears throat> engrossed in working as I am now. But early in the stages, sure, that's exactly what I understood. And that's kind of what I understand now. And then in dealing with property management, that's kind of what I understood with seeing people come in the door. So did you, so did you, and I hate to cut you off, but um, do you feel, do you, um, okay. So this was not the direction that this podcast, this initial podcast was supposed to be going, but it's, it's a, it's an interesting road. And so I'm, I'm trying to continue along it. Do you talking about having a difficult conversation? Do you feel like you judge people who do take advantage of the system? Whether or not they are, it, it's a valid thing. Right. right? No, you're, so you're absolutely you're right. So that's a good point. And so that was my second point, actually, I was going to make, is that right now, I feel like in this world, in 2019, you can almost go to the doctor and make something up. You can feign it all you want. And because of liability and lawsuits and malpractice, they're going to just grant you almost anything you want. I'm not, I, I, to answer your question, I have no problem with anyone availing themselves to whatever services are out there. If it really does help them, they really do need it. It's the ones who are actively abusing the system. I don't know anyone specifically, but I'm saying, I know that I can just, you know, you have a feeling that when someone parks in a handicapped spot or is getting a check for some reason, that maybe they are abusing the system. So, so you, you in general, um, this is a question. I'm stating it as a statement. But the question is, if you saw somebody parked in a handicapped spot, you would be more inclined to disbelieve their dis- disability first or more inclined to believe their disability first? I'd be more inclined to believe. I want to give everyone to the believe. benefit. To okay. believe, right. Okay. I don't give, until I, you know, and even if I saw them on the street and they were walking through the mall or wherever they were going and we could have a very engaged conversation and they were physically able to move about without issue. There were no braces, there were no wheelchairs involved, in and out of the vehicle without issue, walking around, shopping, spending money, doing whatever it is, they got that placard for some reason. And whether it's a valid reason, I don't know, and I can't I can't judge them for that. That's and, that's on them. And I will say this, and this is sort of a a, a, a side note, but I um, I want to come back to a different note. But I don't know if the placards, handicapped, whatever you, whatever, uh, disabled, whatever you want to call it, if that's only for physical disability, like if you have whatever it is, PTSD, right, or ADHD or whatever it is, can you get one of those? I, like who gives them out? Who? I'm sure that you could. Which I is don't what I'm even saying. know. You could go to a doctor's office and say, I have this, and because of that, I am not classified as disabled. And I don't, I don't think it is restricted. I, guarantee, I can't be restricted to physical only because I've seen people... We've seen people get out of the car in these spots or get into the car without issue. And well, and so, here's another side note. And, and you know, my first podcast, pardon me, but is disabled the still like the PC term? I have no sense of that. I don't know. I know that, the, I mean, there's all sorts of like other physically things. Physically challenged. Physically challenged, mentally challenged, or, um, you know... Um, uh, even that is like less of a thing, right? I think I heard something um, recently that was uh, uh, it was along the lines of um, 
uh, like differently abled or something like mm, that, yeah, right? Okay. So like they're still able, but their but their capacity for it is just different from ours. So that's one thing. So I'm gonna pause here, but I wanted to say one other one other thing along those lines, and then we'll move on to another subject. Is this idea of the system, right? The system and taking advantage of the system, right? So in this instance, this very specific instance, we were talking about physical disability and people just being able to go to the doctor and say, I've got X, Y, Z and being able to get whatever it is. But to a larger extent, I think you started out by saying that um, at, at one point, your mom or whoever it was, was on welfare or was on the system. But let me put it differently. I think you said social security, which lends itself to this um, uh, this uh, disability. But there are people who are on the system. Listen, I grew up. I was on the system for a little bit. My mom was on, had us on this, uh, you know, on the welfare system for a little bit. We got subsidized housing. She'll tell you in a minute. And she was able. She was working, but you know, she needed governmental assistance. So. I go back to the same question, but in a different way. There are people who take advantage of the system for a disability and, you know, you want to believe them. All right. You want to believe their disability first before not believing their disability. In a broader scope, are you if, if you heard that, oh, this person's on side note, welfare almost has a negative connotation. Right. At this point, you hear the word welfare and you're like, oh, that person. Right. But that person's on the system, which also has a negative connotation. Like how how can I as a single mom of three who needs a little bit of help from government, right, governmental assistance, all of those words, all of those buzzwords have a negative connotation. And sometimes folks just need help. Right. Right. So how do you how first of all, do you judge people who are on the system or however you say it, whatever the words are? Do you as a person judge people who are on the system and or and if it's a mom, whether it's that, whoever it is and or two, how can I convey? How can uh, not convey? How can I move about my friend circle and family circle being on the system without feeling the stigma of shame? I'll put it that way. Hmm. Okay, so I would like to say <clears throat> I would like to say a hundred percent that I don't judge, but I can't honestly say that, and I don't want to judge. Mm. I just don't. But I when I like you said, when you hear it, you automatically think of something. And I mean, because what is what what is the word, right? You hear welfare, boo. You hear like the system, boo. You hear government assistance, like what? Well, what? I've been I've been kind of scarred with my years of property management mm. by seeing people on on housing assistance or subsidized housing and so Section I'm, eight. I'm That's kind of one. <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of scarred by seeing and hearing people on it because I've seen people who look who physically can come in the office and do everything else but they are on section 8 for a number of reasons and it could be just they need help mm-hmm. they've been down on luck you know they may have been let go from a job or they have X number of kids, and I, I have no problem with any of this, but if I, I would like it for it to be for those who really need help, and it's only a crutch to get them to the next step. It should not be a, a job of itself to keep it 
right. and keep yourself there because then the kids are on it. Then the kids grow up with it. Then the kids think that's the way to do it. Right. And, and then it just perpetuates and continues on. And without, that's what I don't want to have happen. Without going too much into it, I know many people like that. And I'll just I'll just say it yeah, like that. I understand. So that so, so here's the question though, right? So just perpet- uh, adding on to that or picking back piggybacking off of that. Right? Um, as a as a private citizen, many of us think have this virtuous idea of being able to have a good system without pe- people being able to take advantage of it, right? And lawmakers who were private citizens at one point who got elected into office right have tried to do all kinds of things oh we'll only let people be on the system for six months oh we'll only let people be able to buy certain things with with drug testing welfare well all the things right and that winds up leading leading to this um idea of shame and i've seen it myself i've been at the safeway um and seen somebody you know have their cart full of groceries and have to put stuff back because their card won't allow them to put by this that or the other but and like, i'm the person behind them and right. then they're looking like oh my god like i'm so embarrassed because i wanted to be able to get pantine instead of you know what dollar shampoo whatever it was and and the the damn car won't allow me what you consider like cosmetic right um and so i guess the t- the 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 question for for you and for both of us i guess is how you're talking about how what the 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 virtual i mean the the most virtuous the most ideal part of it is that being able to have a system that people can't take advantage of or are disinclined to take advantage of i think there was something recently maybe last year where um there was some some attempt at I'm trying to think of what it was but it was like the oh the no 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 like it was the it was the 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 welfare card or the p card or whatever you call this thing the card that wouldn't allow you to buy seafood right it, it which is an odd thing right because seafood is healthy right you want people a lot of times people who are on the system they wind up having to buy unhealthy food because that's the card that that will allow them to do it and then they wind up being unhealthy getting diabetes wind up having to be on another system because whatever it is so it's a it's a perpetuating cycle and for another podcast side note to myself i'm sending this to the microphone um we're going to talk about low income disparity and um, folks who were on the system, maybe I'll find somebody, uh, maybe I'm sure I can find somebody who was on the system um, or who is on the system. And, you know, it's disproportionately for people of color. So that's a that's a whole nother side thing. But the question is, how do you what is what, give me a solution for um, making people disinclined to stay in the system? And I, what I was going to say was, I think there was a, a an, an instance in Massachusetts where, um, or maybe some other state where, in order to be on the system, maybe it's a couple states. In order to be, in order to continue your welfare benefits, you needed to have successfully gone to. You can't just go to the to the unemployment line. You have to successfully have created a resume and gone out on two interviews per month, let's just say. That's the idea. So that people could be like, oh, yeah, I've gotten a job. Now, it could be a job you're never going to get. 
but you went out on, on two interviews every month and that keeps you sharp and fresh. I mean, that's an I idea. Mean, it's moving. It's a step in the right direction. It is. I, I agree with that. But we're it's, it's almost the same thing as, you know, this Littman's test of do you deserve it? And right. how do we gauge that? And we're trying to be PC, politically correct about it, not hurt folks, not shame them. You know, we have all these different they, they created these rules of, of like you said, um, I can't think, drug testing and you can only buy certain things and certain age and certain number of kids. You have to live in a certain area. But I feel like there's no perfect system. I wish I could say something. I, I that's that's one. But again, who's to say that these these interviews, these resumes are legitimate and how are you going to monitor it? You know, we're talking about if we're talking about 10 people, sure. That's easy to do. We're talking about like millions of people across the country. Um, and every day someone or hundreds of people are getting on the system and they're being forced out of certain housing or certain areas. And they're all being sort of put into one area, which is then also adding to more crime. Um, I don't really know of a perfect system or what to do to, to change the system to make it better unless you have a time frame across the board. Well, so here's here's something. And this this I'm going to. Yes. Yes, I actually agree with you. Let me say that I agree with you that uh, that there is particular right now certainly no perfect system, um, and I want to get back to this idea of shame, right? Um, and the and the thought that I had, and I'm I'm because I'm being recorded, I'm being particularly careful to continue to use words instead of just thinking in my own head. But the idea, the original idea was. How do you get rid of stigma and how do you get rid of shame of this this instance that we're talking about of people being on the system is just one instance of this idea that because you need help, how dare you? You should be ashamed. Right. And that it's only in that we're ta- only talking about it in that one instance, but it lends itself. It, le- it it creates this this culture, this idea of, oh, I can't ask for help for anything. I could not be on the system at all. And I could just be living my best life, making over a hundred thousand dollars a year, working in an office, doing doing whatever, and then somebody says, Oh, do you need help with so and so? No, I don't need it. I don't need help. Okay, well, just a second. Like just because you need help or could use help doesn't mean that it's bad, doesn't mean that you should be ashamed. It's none of that. So creating a, a culture of shame based on you needing help is um it sort of permeates a lot of where we are in or at least where I grew up in in, in my society and I'm uh, or in my childhood and, and somewhat of my adulthood and it's hard to break out of I think it's it's very hard to sort of take a step outside yourself and say you know what yeah I mean this 20 pound bag that I'm carrying I could carry it myself sure but if you're offering the help, yes, two people is better than one. And I could only be carrying 10 pounds and that and that's OK. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't mean that like, oh, I can't carry the 20 pounds. Listen, I can carry the 20 pounds, but having you help me is OK. It's, okay. it's just working smarter. Right. Right. But it depends. It's all about the person's um, experience in life. You know, if they felt as though as a kid or a child that by pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps and that they went to school, they pushed themselves, they did what they had to do and they felt as though they couldn't get the help or they didn't get the help. 
now as an adult, they feel like that same way. So I so, think it's definitely so, a lot of experiences. And so going back to this, one of the thing, the thing that we talked about earlier in the podcast about your, it's hard for me to say it because I, I still don't see it that way. Your disability, which is like, what? I'm gonna have to talk to you offline about this. I don't, <laughs> I don't, and I don't classify myself. I've never really classified myself, which is why we don't talk about it. But since you brought it up, I want to just relate to the coworker in that way where. Sure, I can feel like that sometimes. I'm sure I do feel like that sometimes at work, but I don't let I don't worry about it. I just continue on as if I'm oblivious to the fact that if anyone's doing anything special, I'm not aware of it. So you're so so here's where I'm at now. This is my next question is you are you are a man of a certain age. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I'm going to roll my eyes. You're you're a man of a certain age and um you still have, you know, you still walk with a limp. So, but do you, do do you, do you, as an adult, as a full grown adult of a certain age, do you find, do you find that people still like, uh, offer help or do you like, do people treat you a certain kind of way or does anybody even mention it or how does that? Um, I don't, I can't actively or knowingly recall someone who offered help. I can't. Mm. Um, but I do recall when I started, do you wish that somebody would? I don't. No, no. I don't. I don't actually. Um, when I um, when I started my my job, my new job back in August of last year, my new boss or my then boss at the time actually asked, stopped me in the hallway of the building or the hallway of our office and asked me, "Hey, Paul, what happened?" And yeah. I was kind of unaware of what was. I was like, "What are you talking about? What do you mean?" And I thought he meant something. I just did something with the patient. I was just having a conversation and I thought he was referring. And he said, no, the, the limp I saw you. And I was like, oh. And then I just talked. I just because you're not even necessarily, I'm not, because you live, live with it, you're not even really aware. Right, of it. I'm not. And so, when was the last time somebody had asked you about that before? Uh, that I couldn't tell you. So, so going, sort of rounding it back early, even earlier to the conversation we were having, how does one, how might I approach my coworker? How does one say, hey, I'd like to know more about your thing without without it being like some shit out like i'm a little bit ashamed about it like i don't i don't necessarily want to just be like so why you walk like that like I okay mean, I let's, don't know. let's clarify a few things i that's not you that's not how you would approach it and you'd be you'd be very tactful and obviously it would be you want to do it one-on-one i would feel mm. that's like the most important thing okay. is privacy okay doing it the right time the right way um catering to you know their their way of speaking or their 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 way of uh possibly discussing anything in private so if you've never if you've never discussed anything in private with this person even at work it would be very difficult to know to gauge what how you to do this and mm-hmm. with them so you mm-hmm. got to figure that out mm-hmm. but definitely private mm-hmm. um it could be over something as simple as coffee or anything like that and just you know just saying let's just say her name is Rubeth. um Rubeth. <laughs> <laughs> Not Rue Beth. Who is Rue Beth? Okay. Let's say Rue Beth. So you just you know, ask Rue Beth for a cup, to go, a cup of coffee or whatever it is and just say, so, you know, you can even use me. You can use me as a, as a crutch for and oh, no, no pun. No pun. I'm sorry. That was awful. Okay. That was awful. We can probably need to take, take that out. Um, I apologize. Really, I do. Restart the sentence. Okay. So if you need to use me, if you need to roll over me, um, if you need to use me in the conversation, that's fine. But just say, I have a friend and we were talking about X, Y, and Z. And I was wondering if I could ask you, you know, um, 
for this podcast, we were discussing this with him and, uh, you know, maybe ask her how she feels about that as far as discussing it with me mm. and making it on me versus you brought her up in the conversation initially yeah. and bringing me up in the conversation initially and saying, well, this is how he felt about it. You know, could you offer maybe some insight? I don't know. Or you can reword it, obviously. Yeah. So, so here's something and I'm going to. Um, I'm going to broaden the conversation, right? It's still along the same lines. But um, when I was talking to my friend coworker, not the not the person who walks with the braces, but um, with my friend coworker about this podcast um, and starting difficult conversations and what I what I'd like to do, and she said, "Oh yeah, um, I had um, another coworker come up to her. She's black. The coworker came up to her." And was talking to her about whatever it was they were talking about. And the coworker said, oh, where's your family from? Right? And she said, oh, my family's from, you know, um, what did she say, Chicago. And she said, no, no, no. Where, uh, you know, where are you from? Right? And the coworker, my friend, said, oh, I actually don't know. Because, and, and this is... This will continue on another podcast, but so many of and so many of us as people of color. Side note for anybody who can't tell by now, I am black. Um, <laughs> um, but in, so many of us, for people of color, don't have a, a sense of oh, this is where I'm from. You know, if I asked a um, a, a white person, um, for lack of a better term, they might say, oh, I'm half Irish, I'm half German. I'm uh, you know, I'm, my family's from you know, I'm from France, whatever it is. I can't honestly say. I mean, I have some general idea, but I can't say, you know, oh, I'm from my, you know, my great-great-great-great-grandfather's from Kenya, and my great-great-great-grandmother was from, you know, Zimbabwe. I have no sense of that. And so when the, when the, when the co-worker asked her that, she was like, oh, I'm okay with saying I don't know. You know, my, fa- my family's from Chicago. Um, and their family was from Georgia or from, from Alabama, but that's about all I know, or, you know, however far it went back. Um, and the difficult, that first of all, it was difficult for her, for the coworkers to start the conversation to say, where are you from? And then it was, then they talked about it afterwards. They're not that close, but they talked about it afterwards. She was like, no, well, now I feel awkward because I've put you in a position of being, of being, for you to be able to, for you to have to say, oh, I don't know. Right. And does that make you feel shame? Right. Like and I my, should know. Right. Right. And the coworker was like, well, you know, a little bit, but the whole thing was awkward because she was like, well, maybe I should know, well, but, but this is where we are. This is, I don't know. But then because it, I was brought over, you know, then it becomes like a whole other thing. You know, my family was brought over, but who knows, right? And they were brought over by your people. Well, not necessarily your people, but (laughs) it becomes a little bit of a thing. But maybe I've opened her mind to say, well, now, you know, I want to know now. Mm, And it could could have opened doors for her. And then who knows knows to say what she'll find out? Well, so here's the thing, right? I it, it is difficult for me to imagine that any of us, any of us people of color would be like, no, I'm not interested in knowing. The problem is that there are very few records and the records that they that there are are actually incomplete in many, many instances of like, you can only go back so far with a lot of people of color. And so that's why we don't know. It's not that it's not that we're lazy. We don't want to know. I, I would venture to guess, and I think I read this someplace, that over half of us can only go back so far. 
And then it's just guesswork. And why is it? Because the records were destroyed. and Either the records were destroyed, there were no records, or the records were lost or whatever it was, right? And so, sure, you, white lady, white man, whoever, might be able to say, well, you know, my great-great-grandmother emigrated, uh, emigrated, um, what do you call it, Uh, migrated here from, um, you know, the Ukraine, and I'm over here just, you know. All I know is Chicago. All I know is Chicago. And, and that's okay. And that goes back to the idea of shame. Uh, would I like to know? Sure. Would it be good to know? Sure, it, it would be. But at the same time, I can't, I can't fully define my existence, my current life, based on not knowing past my great-great-grandmother. My and I can say that personally for myself. I know on both sides of my family how far back my great-grandmother and my great-grandfather went on both sides. Past that, I have no sense of it. No sense at all. And my mother, my mother, when she finally listens to this, will probably be able to go great-great-grand. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But even that, okay, then what? Right? Then yeah. what? And so, uh, rounding out, so, uh, we're at 40 minutes now, so we're, we're in, in a good space. Um, rounding out that part of the conversation, it's about shame, but it's also about being able to start a difficult conversation. And uh, a difficult conversation, and being able to say, listen, I'm totally ignorant, right? And I have no sense of this, but I'm okay with having, like, just coming at it with... A completely open mind and part of the other conversation that we had um, and I'll let you jump in here was um, the co-worker said to her I don't know and had my this is my friend slash my co-worker said I don't know where I'm from and so many times when having a difficult conversation it can be stopped by somebody or it can be sort of either stopped or go down a bad path because somebody doesn't want to say, I don't know, because right. we're so inclined to be like, oh, I must know, right? I must know the answer to whatever it is. So taking it completely out of this race conversation, let's say that um, uh, you and I were having a conversation about the Alabama abortion bill, let's just say, right? Which is a whole, I'm just just trying to take a completely left field, right? And I say, well, this is my stance on it. And you say, well, this is my stance on it. And then we, when I say to you, well, what, why, why do you feel that way? Well, science says that life begins um, when, the, when the fetus becomes, a, when, the, when the fertilized um, egg becomes a zygote, right? Let's say that that's your response. And instead of me saying, well, I don't know what a zygote is, right? What classifies a zygote? Then I'm like, well, how dare you? Like, what makes a zygote a person? Blah, blah, blah. And then it becomes a whole separate thing. Instead of me just saying, I don't, I'm not familiar with that term. Right? And that's just a, that's probably almost too specific. But you know what I'm saying? Like, instead of saying, I don't understand your, your methodology, your language, your way of speaking, the way that you are saying the thing that you were saying, some people just get all riled up and they get all confused. And instead of saying, I haven't read that. I don't know where that's coming from. 
oh, is that true? Oh, well, you know, give me a source. They're like, oh, that your source. If you if I don't know it, your source must be wrong. And I'm curious about how if you've come across that and if you have an example of something similar to that or if you agree with it. Hmm. I am thinking a lot. Um, and then you just went to the abortion part. Uh, I don't, <clears throat> I, I can't offhand recall of anything that I was incredibly emotional about or, or um, passionate about in that regard. Um, except to just refer back to the initial conversation of maybe someone asking me, well, how did that happen? Or where is that from? And initially I didn't know. Well, no, so so take let's let's take it down a different route because I, I just happen to know you. I suspect, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you have been asked at some point, what are you? Now, for anybody who's listening who do, who doesn't know, Paul is biracial. Okay. Yes. Right? Many times. And so And initially, up until a couple of years ago, um, when I did the Ancestry.com, um I didn't know. And so it was just easier in life to say, yes, I am Puerto Rican mm. or I am mixed. And so that was the easiest thing. And I would I would actually ask them, why do you think that? You know, or, or they would say they would just not even ask. They would just say they would say, are you Puerto Rican or you look Puerto Rican? And uh, so, but instead of you saying, I don't know, I would say it was the easiest thing to do without because I didn't know. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And maybe it depended on the person, maybe or the way that they asked or the conversation or my level of interest into that person or if I cared there were a number of factors um, and so I would say either I I didn't know I, I wouldn't mind saying I didn't know to certain people if I really did value them or care about them mm. or some random passerby on the street um, who's just like so so take me down that rabbit hole for just a second right what are you so I am no no you're asking me yeah let's say that this is what the conversation says so I say what are you you say I don't know what are you? I don't know. Why don't you know? Right? So then that creates a level of shame. Well, you're like coming that, at me right. for like not knowing. How dare you not know? Right? right. And then you have to explain yourself to me. First of all, I don't have, you, don't, you shouldn't don't have, have to explain to, myself at all. Right. Right. But I imagine that that's like. It's never happened. People don't say, why don't you know? But it, it is like. It comes off that way. Like, you well, don't you, know. how do you not know? You don't know? And then you have to like go into a whole thing. And maybe that's a little bit private. And I could see that you would be disinclined to even say you don't know because you've had instances of people being like, what? I have a full mother and a father. What? Like <laughs> That's never, I mean, I've never had that issue where they've almost gotten into my face about it to say, how dare you not know? And maybe <laughs> I didn't. how dare you. And but. maybe I didn't take it that. Maybe they right. have and I never took it that way. Mm-hmm. I disregarded. Yeah. And so... I'm not again. I don't say. I'm not saying it's never happened, but I've never had it happen that way. Mm-hmm. I've either said I don't know, and it's been that was it. That was the end of the conversation, um, or I've said yes, I am Puerto Rican, or I've just volunteered the fact that yeah, I am Puerto Rican and Caucasian, um, and then moved on. But since the Ancestry.com, I now have a a very uh, assuming those numbers are correct, or their their percentages correct. I now know um, to a degree. Uh, of my mixture. And so tell us what that is. So with the, I couldn't tell you the exact percentages. I don't sure. have them memorized, sure. but let's just say uh, Western European, mm-hmm. Congo, some Thailand, 
Um, you've seen it. What else? I can't remember. That's that's the majority of, but no Puerto Rican, no Puerto Rican. And so that's interesting. So then let, let's go down that down that rabbit hole for just a second. Did you do you did you slash do you feel um, any, for lack of a better word, shame? Right. It's I don't. All going back to the shame of claiming a culture that wasn't even yours. I don't at all. I don't at all because I didn't know, mm-hmm. and I wasn't purposely trying to mislead anyone. I wasn't saying that one was better than the other. Mm-hmm. I had no, um, I wasn't aware of that. I wasn't mm-hmm. doing it for that purpose. I was saying it as a way to get out of the conversation or to end it by simply saying, I am blank. Mm. Whether that was black, white, Puerto Rican, and so anything. What, so I'm actually curious. Yeah, probably curious is the best word. What made, um, what made, what, what caused you to settle on Puerto Rican? What what made Puerto Ricans so attractive and or easy for you to say for people to be like, oh, okay, yeah. That, that's very that's actually very easy. It's nothing I chose myself. It was the most it was the most uh it was the most widely description it was the most act uh, I can't think. It was the description that was given to me most times. Mm. Out of everyone By other people saying, Oh, you look exactly or you seem. and because I don't ask them, why do you think Puerto Rican? Oh, it's your nose, it's your skin, it's your hair. Mm. So by other people by getting that so many times. So pause for a second and describe yourself to to the to the listening audience. Well, I'm quite rugged. Uh, <laughs> Not quite rugged. <laughs> okay. Say five nine ish. Um, dark brown hair. Why are you deepening your voice? Okay. <laughs> I don't think I'm doing that. Dark brown hair, brown eyes, uh, fairly toned skin. I would say like caramel in a way. Uh, Buttered toast. It's more like it. Well, I, you know, there's lighting issues in here, so okay. we'll go with caramel because that's more accurate in the day of in the Do you day. You say caramel or caramel? I said caramel. Okay. I don't say caramel because okay. there's that a. Um, and so uh, is that enough? You think to describe to the to the sure. Uh, listeners? Sure. Why not? We'll we'll go with that. So continue what you were saying. So, with everyone, with most people, let's say eight out of ten people volunteering you look Puerto Rican for this reason I decided as a child or as a young adult that that was just my route until I found out and at no point did I have a calendar or a deadline to say I'm going to find out by this date I was going to find out at some point I just had no urge at that point to say I need to consult a book or an online source to find out so take me back for just a second and then um, I have another left field question do you have a sense of um, and I, and I don't know that we've talked about this, but you grew up in a predominantly blank neighborhood. And do you have a sense of when was your first inkling that you were different from every other blank in your neighborhood? Okay. So I grew up in a, let's say an urban neighborhood. Um, and I felt as though I was the only kid for the most part, um, with a white mother and that, in that general area. So most other kids had what? Black or uh, families of color, okay. for the most part. And so, like Korean, Chinese, Japanese. It was or? mostly, I would say, black and and Latin. Okay. Yeah, for the okay. most part. Um, and I, as a kid, I I didn't find anything wrong with that, and I still don't. But I knew that I was different because I was really the only one out of let's say ten people that had a a, a, a white mother. Um, it's, it seemed as though the income was similar to everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, the 
And there were people who were also in your same general grouping, friend group, whatever it is, that were also, for lack of a better word, on the system. Right, correct. Right? Okay. Yeah, for the most so part. Clear right, for the, mo- for the yeah. most part. Not everyone, but yeah. for the most part. Okay. And and actually, um, I don't know, as a kid, I was, I was kind of aware that for the friends who were not, that their mothers looked at me differently. Mm. And I could sense that. It was just, it was just blatant. It's like the parents wanted me to know that you're not like my son, mm. nor will you be hanging with him or doing X, Y, and Z with him or attending certain functions. And I just knew that. And I was so a, a kid. I didn't, I didn't care. For so, me, I was okay. So a lot of the stigma, just so I'm, I'm, I'm understanding, I'm hearing you right. A lot of the stigma came from the adults, not the kids. The kids weren't like, oh, you're on the system. Right. No, kids, <laughs> kids aren't born to hate. And mm-hmm. care about the money. That's right. the parents who would then instill it in the kids. And so, no. And still, I communicate with some high school friends that, at the time, their parents had a problem with me or similar um, socioeconomic styling of my or st- uh, status of my friends. But no, I the ki- the friends had nothing to do with it. It was the parents that said, "No, you can't hang with him, or you're not doing that." And so, um, as an adult, just so I'm clear about what we're saying. Um, have you ever been on the system? I have not. Well, me personally, no. I mean, it's so good. No, good. It's, it's kind of. I mean, I'm trying to figure. I'm trying to answer the question honestly in the way I hopefully I'm. I'm hearing the question. If I've ever actually applied and been in the system myself, no. So, but as a, as been as a child of a parent who was, yes. So, so uh, no, but as an adult. Have you ever been on the system? I think you no. answered. The, I think you asked the question, but the 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 idea of being on the system is different in other people's eyes. And when I say that, I mean getting being on the system to me and to many people means getting governmental assistance of any kind, including unemployment benefits. Have you ever ever had unemployment benefits? I have. I've been as an adult. I have had. I've lost a job, you know, I, I for le- probably less than six months or whatever it was, I did get unemployment benefits because, you know, I actually I um, paid into it. So I at a time when I was let go from a job, I, impl- I applied for unemployment. But by the time the unemployment paperwork came in for me to fill out or submit, I actually I was then employed and no mm. longer needed it. So mm. I actually never really actually got an unemployment check. And that's so no. a rarity. That's a rarity because that doesn't always happen. Trust me when I tell you. But I just wanted to make sure that I, I was making clear about what we are defining, what we are defining as being on the system is because it's different for everybody, for different people. Right. When you hear it, you just think of one thing right. or whatever you use. Just a couple things, right? Yeah. Whatever it is. So um, we're right at 54 minutes. We're going to spend the last few minutes talking about... Um, my vision and what and my vision for the future of this podcast and what you'd like to see happen in the next few episodes. I have a few people lined up, um, including my coworker that I was talking about, who um, got the question from another coworker about where she was from. Um, I, I have another um, interesting person who reached out to me about um, her perspective, which is very interesting, of. Um, being a white woman um, who has no voice. Interesting. 
because to, to my mind and to many people's minds, nobody's listening to anybody else but the white man and the white woman. Ultimately, the white, even the white man is listening to, white, to the white woman, mm-hmm. right? So for her to feel like she has nothing, she is not being heard or has nothing to say. And that's actually the subject of the podcast is, is it that you are not being heard or that you have nothing to say? And if you feel like you have nothing to say, why is that? So we're going to get into that in a, in a, in a future podcast. Um, so I have those two people lined up and I have one other person, but I don't know where, what my what what our bent is going to be yet. But I'd like to know what, you, what you'd like to see for the future of the podcast. And, you know, you've known me, as as we said in the beginning, for, oh, what are we on coming up on 18 years now? So you know me well enough to know how how much I've been wanting to do something like this and, um, you know, where you'd like to see it go. And possibly where you'd like to co-host if you continue to be my co-host, etc. So uh, definitely... Um this was a very, with the inaugural being very serious, um, definitely something. So just real quick, we we recorded two other episodes that will probably get uploaded at some point, but those were video podcasts. And the first one was two and a half hours. The second one was an hour and 37 minutes. And it t- I could never figure out how to upload them into a proper format. So those are just. Uh, what do you call these uh, test episodes and or behind the scenes and or maybe funny bloopers. Um, we probably didn't have nearly enough drinks for a more funny podcast, but I'm glad we, we went down this route. So go ahead. What were you going to say? So uh, definitely something. Um, I'm not sure how limited this became for maybe some viewers or how many viewers can relate to this. Obviously, viewers. the. Listener, sorry. Um, the uh, definitely the um, the ancestry part of it, you know, anyone can relate to. But as far as the um, differently abled conversation, that may only touch a few people. And if someone doesn't touch you personally, it may touch someone you know or someone else, a friend of a friend or a relative or someone else. Um, so definitely just expanding what we're talking about, and um, definitely just different subjects and within one within one uh, podcast. And then um, definitely adding some humor and definitely always ending it on a good note or positive note. Um, And then just for ourselves, just opening ourselves up to um, the unknown and taking ourselves out of our comfort zone and seeing how people uh, who are listening uh, relate to that. And then um, just challenging ourselves, not going for the easiest, easiest route. Well, so one other thing to add is that um, hopefully when, when I get this uploaded and people start listening to it, I'd love to get people's suggestions about what they'd like to hear and what, what they'd like to have us start talking about once you get to know us a little bit better. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to this podcast, even if you fast forward it through some of the parts and um, for supporting me in trying something new. And um, hopefully um, I will put out more additional content over the next few weeks and months and years. And um, you have been listening to Marquee Listens. Thank you and have a great night.